Good afternoon, Storehouse. If you would, please uh, stand with me in the reading of God's Word. We'll be in 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 13. It says this, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and to long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For the joy that we feel for the sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all his saints. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning, Storehouse family. And to those of you who are new this afternoon, my name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. Uh, this morning, or this afternoon, I should say, I am not preaching. You can be praying for me and my family as we are out of town visiting our son's college campus. Life is happening very fast for us right now. But that's another story. This afternoon, you are going to be served uh, by Alan Morales as he preaches God's word to you. Let me tell you a little bit about Alan. We love Alan. Alan is awesome because he is so zealous for the gospel. He loves to teach God's Word. He serves in a variety of capacities here at Storehouse McAllen. A lot of them have been behind the scenes, so in the event that you have not seen him, Alan serves as one of our teachers in kids' ministry. He's one of our writers when it comes to the devotionals that we publish and print for y'all. Uh, he's one of our teachers as he's been assisting in the Doxa Theology class this spring. And every once in a while, you'll see Alan up on stage uh, jamming out on the drums. So he just serves our church so well. But one of the things I love most about Alan is when he preaches God's word because he is passionate about God's word for God's people. So this afternoon, would you welcome Alan Morales? Bar so high now. Oh my goodness. Um, I am Alan, uh, as Marco said. We will be praying for them as we close our time today. I know they're out, out of the state, but um, I really just want to open up by starting and saying, if you're new here and this is your first time here, before you leave, please do us a favor and swing by the Connect Desk, which is in, out in the main lobby. Um, we would really love to get your information so we could take you out to dinner, lunch, or even breakfast, but maybe you even have questions about our church, and in that case, we'll go ahead and answer those questions by all means. Um, if you've been following along with us today, uh, we're going to continue our study in the book of First Thessalonians. Last week, we pretty much got in to chapter 3, and today we're going to close off our time in chapter 3 as we get closer to ending our study in First Thessalonians. So today we're actually going to be in First Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. And so I'll give you some time there to um, open up your Bibles or scroll there. And while you do that, I'll go ahead and ramble 
Um, we just got out for spring break. Uh, my wife and I, and along with uh, all my teacher friends that I see some of you here right now, are very excited. Um, my wife and I both work at schools. My, my wife works at a high school, and I work at a middle school. But I've always said that working at a middle school is such an interesting experience because when it's lunchtime in the cafeteria, you see the way they start interacting with one another. And the, I wouldn't call it impressive, but one of the things that you automatically see in walking to cafeteria is that you can already start to see the development of cliques as early as sixth grade. And you know what cliques I'm talking about, like the jocks, the cheerleaders, the popular kids, right? The goths, the nerds. And so I'm not one to say or, you know, prophesy what somebody's children are going to be, but just by walking around the cafeteria, by the things they're talking about, what they're wearing, the people they're hanging out with, you could kind of see what kind of clique they're going to feed into. But even some of us at one time or one point when we were in high school, and although some of us don't want to admit it because it's embarrassing, but we were part of some of these small communities and cliques once upon a time. And it is for these same cliques and communities that we did some pretty ridiculous things in order to feel appreciated by them, respected by them, and loved by them. And so I'm pretty sure we have plenty of stories. But it could even appear that at times there may be or there can be some cliques or subgroups or other smaller communities within the community of the church. To where one, it looks like there's a clear division or inconsistency within the body. Or two, it kind of looks like high school all over again, where you have these groups of separated people just scattered throughout the church. But as we both know, this isn't a high school and this isn't a middle school cafeteria. This is the church. And so today, we're going to be making some observations as Paul writes to the Thessalonians. And he's going to show us what it means to be a biblical community. Not so much a church where there's a building, but a biblical community. Because the reality is there are plenty of other communities and plenty other cliques. But Paul, through his writing, is going to show us that to be a biblical community means much more than that. And so I want to give you my main idea before we start and I go ahead and, and read the portion. The main idea really serves as a one-sentence summary as to what these passages are going to be about. And so here's our main idea for our time. If you get anything, get this. The fruit of a biblical community comes from faith rooted in Jesus. That is, as a fruit of a biblical community comes from faith rooted in and Jesus. So let me go ahead and pray for our time, and then I'll go ahead and and read some of the portions that we're going to be diving into early on. Pray with me. Lord, we, we thank you for this week. We are relieved as teachers that we're out for spring break. We are relieved as people that still got to go to work that we're here in your house. But nevertheless, Lord, we we never fail 
and give you thanks for bringing us here. And I know that this past week may have been hectic, but we pray today that you would disarm us. You would disarm us and you would ease us from all the worries that could be happening around us to really just sit down and listen to your word. But more than that, Lord, we pray that we not only be hearers of your word, but that we play it out and be doers as well, especially when we talk about a subject like community. So, Lord, we pray that you open our hearts and our minds to your word and that we may be receptive to go out and do once we leave from here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so, hopefully you found your way there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. And so, if you remember from last week, Paul couldn't bear it any longer but to send Timothy to check up on the Thessalonians. And it's something that it really weighed on him. And so if we go back to verse 5 for a moment, this is what he said. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith from fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So Paul sends Timothy to Thessalonica to really just check up on them. And then we pick up with our time today in verse 6. And this is what verse 6 says. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and really in the Greek, this is like Paul is writing and Timothy walks in the front door. Like just now. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith. And so a biblical community then, right off the bat, is a, first of all, a community of faith. Before he mentions anything else, Paul wants us to know that a biblical community is a community of faith. Because here, we are, we are not here together right now because we have the same preferences. We're not here because we all have the same interest in music, in food, in clothes, in sports, in shows. We're here for something much bigger and better than that. If you notice here in the verse, he doesn't say, man, we heard good news that you guys, I don't know, got a new sports team. And Paul was pretty good at making these athletic analogies. But he says, no, we received good news, and that was the good news of your faith. And so this much means that this is much more than just mere preferences. It is much more than just likes and dislikes. This is faith in Jesus. This is belief in Jesus. That is that we believe in Jesus. That is the first stop of a biblical community. And that means that we believe that Jesus, being truly God, took on flesh. 
That is that we believe that he entered into human history. That is that we believe that he lived a perfect life. That is that we believe he was crucified and died for our sins. That is that we believe he resurrected. That is that we believe right now he is sitting at the right hand of the Father. That is that we believe that one day he will return to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the gospel. That is the faith of community, of a biblical community. And as we came into this community of faith, we didn't have to impress anybody to be here. We didn't have to fill out an application to see how compatible we were with one another. We didn't have to go through a period of hazing to be considered a real Christian. But rather, once we were given this saving faith, we were automatically, with no question, no doubt, folded into the community of God. If we go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, You may know this already, but I'm just going to remind you that we're here in this community of faith purely by his grace. This is what Ephesians says. For by grace, grace, an unmerited favor, we didn't deserve it. For by grace, you have been saved through what? Through faith. And then right off the bat, the same writer, Paul, right? And this is not of your own doing. So don't think that, oh, I got in because I was the smartest, the most good looking, or the most athletic. No. He says, it is the gift of God. And then he reiterates, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We did not come into this biblical community by the things that we do or the things that we have to offer, because prior to that, there was none to God. Rather, we were folded in into the community of God. A biblical community is a community of faith, but it doesn't stop there. Because there are implications to our faith. It's not just so much that we believe and we're a part of this community and then we coast, but no, that there are implications to what we believe. What we believe shapes what we do. And that's true about everything. What we believe shapes what we do so that if we have this belief in Jesus, if we have this faith, if we believe in the gospel that was presented to us, and there should be fruit that is produced from that faith. With no question. Jesus said it himself in John 15, verse 16. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I saved you. And then he says, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. There should be this physical evidence of the faith that we have, that it's manifested in the world around us. Now, I want to clarify, because this doesn't mean that we don't fail. This doesn't mean that we don't sin because we do, but there must be fruit, period, that is seen. That is the root of a biblical community. And when it comes to 
our passage today, that's what we're going to see exemplified by Paul, the fruits. Obviously, we see the faith, right? But, but, but the fruits between him, between him and, and the Thessalonians, we're going to see the fruit that comes from their faith in Jesus, their faith in the gospel. But the first part here is that a biblical community is one that is rooted in faith. It's a biblical community, but also it is a community of faith. So with that being said, let's jump on and move on because it's not only a community of faith, because as I mentioned, there should be fruit coming out from that. And not only is a biblical community a community of faith, but it is a community of love. It is a community of faith, but out of that faith, it is a community of love. And so let's go ahead and continue in our time here. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. It's clear. There is this, this sense of love in between Paul and between the Thessalonians, right? Just in the same way that Paul longed to see them, the Thessalonians longed to see Paul. It was mutual. It was love. And then we go down to verse 7 and says, For this reason, brothers, and all our distress and affliction. In other words, and everything that could possibly go wrong, and it went wrong. Beatings, imprisonments, hunger, humiliation, all of those things. Every single one, he says, we have been comforted about you through your faith. In other words, it did not matter if... We were going through the toughest times. As long as we knew that you were okay, that was our comfort. That was our comfort. That is love. And then verse 8, he says, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. If you think about the time and the period that Paul is going through right now, Right? He's on the run. He's in prison. Uh, he's in imprisonment. He's in really in isolation. The only thing that he could do is write to his churches and to other brothers because he's in prison. It was a very depressing time for him. And we go through these same times as well. It gets very depress- depressing at times in our life. And so now imagine Paul being in prison, not being able to socialize, talk to his friends. Talk to the church to see how they're doing. That's why he was so anxious all the time. And frankly, it would be really tough to be able to want to live. But he says here in verse 8, for now we live. If you are standing fast in the Lord. Right now, presently, that has brought life into me, knowing that you are doing good. That you're standing fast in the Lord. That is a community of love. And that is the gospel that they believe. This is reflective of the gospel that they believe. Let's go briefly to Romans 5, verses 6 to 8. And this is one of the clearest representations 
of the gospel that Paul has ever given. And this is what he says. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. In other words, people may die for a good person, possibly. And then verse 8, but God shows his love for us. In what way? In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While people may and possibly could possibly die for a, a good person, Christ died for a bad one. That is love. That is a beautiful picture of love that the gospel portrays. Jesus died for us out of the love that he has for us. It wasn't by chance by force he willingly went to the cross and died for sinners that is love and it's not just so much that he that he died for sinners but his love abounded for us in that he sought us to be part of his biblical community he didn't just leave us there this is why Paul is so thankful to God for the Thessalonians because he knows that the Thessalonians are here because God made it happen. Look at verse 9. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God? What, and really it translates to what could we possibly repay God? And once you think about it, it's kind of like weird because there's no way. It's more of a rhetorical question. But still, it's like, what could I possibly repay God? What could I do for all the joy that I feel in, your, in my heart knowing that you are standing fast in the Lord? Knowing that God saved you. His thanksgiving was to God for the Thessalonians. What could I possibly repay? What could I possibly do? We've experienced those times where somebody does something very generous and then we're like, I feel like I got to pay this guy, right? This, this uh, couple of days ago, uh, Maribel is, is full-time school. And so uh, some guy, they had a test coming up, but some guy messaged the group chat, the, his own study guide that he made. And the first thing Maribel said was like, should I pay him, right? Because it's a free resource. But more or less, that's the idea here. It is that something has done something so good, so generous that you see not only love, but he says thanksgiving. He says joy. That is the fruit of a biblical community that comes from the faith that they have in the gospel. We can't have this disconnect of I believe the gospel, but I show something completely different. But one of the things that I have to wrestle with, and I'm sure you're going to wrestle with it too, or even have been, from the, from the talks of, uh, with Marco, you have been wrestling with this idea already. And I know that RCG wrestled with it when we met in our time. But it, 
It looks as if Paul had a better relationship with the Thessalonians that he didn't really see for a long time and that were far away than some of us do with one another that are sitting in the same pew right now. That is something that we were wrestling with at CG. That is not a community of love. The fact that we could go on for months, days, weeks, and not really having to talk to anybody or having the desire to want to talk to anybody. Now, it's fine if you have a CG or a DG where you go because, you know, convenience close to your house or a DG because you like the intimate space and you want to talk with the people who have, who have really just poured more into your life. But there's a distinction. And when we start thinking, I'm not interested in that person unless they could do something for me, that's where we draw the line. That's when it starts being cliquish. Because at that point, we're not believing the gospel that was just explained right here, we're believing a different gospel, one that is self-serving and a consumeristic gospel where we're at the center and not Jesus. That is where we need to draw the line. And I, I come alongside you and we, we, we need to repent of this. Our, our CG on... On Friday, it was just like silence, crickets, when it came to this topic. Because everybody acknowledges and realizes that, yeah, we're, we're messing up in this area. We're sinning in this area. So if you feel the conviction, I will come alongside you and repent of this because that is not the community that Jesus intended for us to be. It is convicting to you as it is to me. Because a community of love should be rooted in the fact that Jesus died for sinners. That is a big, great message of love that the gospel has. And we need to give that out. It is, it is evidence that we need to be producing this fruit. It is one that comes to us when we receive the saving faith. And again, that doesn't mean that we don't sin. That doesn't mean that we Drop the ball. But it means that when we need to repent, we must and go repent. And we receive this forgiveness for our sins from that same gospel. He is just and willing to forgive us of our sins. That is a beautiful message of the gospel. So a biblical community is one where, yes, the gospel is at the center, but there is this love that comes from that because we know what Jesus did on the cross. So we continue because now that there's, there's this urgency that Paul feels out of the faith that he just finished explaining and out of the love that he feels, there's something urgent that's still within him that he feels that he has to pray. And he did this about two times in this letter, which is uncommon. And that often there's a greeting 
the body and then a prayer, but we actually have two prayers in between this book. And a biblical community, not, it's not only a one of love, it's not only one of faith, but it is a one of prayer. It is a community of prayer. And this is what Paul says, verse 10. As we pray most earnestly night and day. Right? He just finished giving thanks and the, the gratitude, thanksgiving, the joy that he's feeling. And then he says, as we pray. In other words, we're doing it right now. It's not something that they, that they pause to because we see the frequency here. It's night and day. It is constant. Prayer after prayer after prayer. But then we also even see his, his fervency, right? It says, we pray most earnestly, that is vigorously, that is with a heart full of passion, a heart full of desire, a desperation. And we see this in Paul's prayer life for the Thessalonians. Out of this faith that he has in Jesus and out of the love that he has for them, he is now going to be praying, praying for them. And so what is he going to be praying for? Well, the areas that he just finished talking about. Faith and love. So this is what he says, verse 10. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. This word direct is really gives the idea of to make a, a straight path, a straight line. And that is that that path is, is straight and is clear of no obstacles. The obstacles have been removed because if we remember, and, and back in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, he says, Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Right? There's, there's this, this hindrance that happened, but here, now he is praying that God would make a way so that we could go see you, but go for what? Why? To just hang out? Just talk about these same preferences and interests? Right? No. He says it there, right after verse 10, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Verse 10, that, that, that phrase, supply what is lacking in your faith, is actually translates to fill in the gaps in your faith. And we see here that they lack maturity. The church was young. And they had to depart immediately after they founded the church. And so there wasn't, you know, going down through doxa or the fundamentals of the faith. They had to go. And this kind of points to the fact that there is no perfect church. Yes, they might have had this faith that, that Timothy went to go back and say and this love, but here we see that they lack something, and that is maturity. Now, that is not to say that Paul was criticizing the church, but, but he was just acknowledging you, you are lacking maturity. There's still work to be done, just like any other church. 
The church is always growing. So even with the good report, right, that, that, that Timothy came back and that, you know, checked in to Paul and said that their faith and their love and they want to see you and all of this stuff, Paul still felt the urgency to see them, even if he knew already that they were good. Paul was praying that the obstacles would be removed so that he could help them grow their faith to expand their comprehension of the truth, to teach them, to edify them, to walk with them through the gospel, which obviously Paul is a master at describing. And he wanted to do that, but he couldn't. And so this is why he was praying, man, I just really want to be there so that I could just teach you and we could sit down and I could help you grow. So this kind of gives an insight of, of how big prayer takes part in our community, our biblical community. It's more of a praying for each other. It's not like, oh, going through that tough time. I'll keep you in my prayers. And then just walk away. No, it is taking the time to pray. It is a community of prayer. We are the only community that has this ability because our faith in Jesus. It's prayer. But often it's one of those things to where sometimes it's inconsistent and I'm with you with that one. Or sometimes no prayer, even if at all. But this is, this is something that God has given us for the betterment of his people. And this is what Paul is doing. So not only... Is he praying that their faith would grow? But also, if we go down to verse 12, he continues with this prayer and he says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. And this word and is better translated to but, but really it, what, it, what, it's trying, what he's trying to mean is whether we get to come see you or not. Or whether we come to see you regardless, may the Lord cause you, cause you to grow in love. Right? Because that was, that was a big thing. Whether we go to see you or not, whether my prayer is answered or not, I still pray, though, that the Lord makes you abound in love. And he says, increase and abound in love. So it's like an increasing, overflowing love that the Thessalonians already had. Paul says... I want that to just keep going, increase. I hope it continues to grow. I pray that it continues to grow. Grow for what? For one another and for all as we do for you. See, Paul knows about their love. If we go back to 1 Thessalonians Chapter 1, verses 2 to 3, this is what he says. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, even in the beginning. Remembering before God and Father your work of faith and labor of love. They were known for this. But Paul here is just like, oh, man, I want that to keep growing within one another. This is exactly what, what Jesus said, John 13, 34 to 35. And you commandment I give to you that you love one another. 
just as I have loved you. That's the picture right there. That is the, the gospel in action. From the belief in the gospel, we get this love one another. Just like I have loved you and have died for you. That's what Paul told us in, and told us in Romans. But then he says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this characteristic, by this characteristic, this one of love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So then love doesn't just reconcile us to the Father and to Jesus, but it also should or should reconcile us to one another. And that's something that's not foreign to some of us that, that have been here a while, right? That has been said from the pulpit before. This is just a reminder again in the writing of Paul. It is a community of prayer. And these aspects of faith, of love. But then we get to the end of our time. Why? Right? I'm sure that's the question you're probably asking. If not, ask yourself that question, right? Why? Well, he, he says, tells us in verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So he says, so why, why, why am I just doing this prayer so to sound fancy, to sound eloquent, so that I could make you think that I'm a theology nerd? Or to make you think and deceive you that I actually care for you more than I actually really do. No, he says, so that. In other words, the climax of the prayer. I've been praying about your growth in faith. I've been praying about your growth in love. So that he may establish your hearts blameless. Establish your hearts. It means make them firm, stable, immovable against temptation. Which again, when they left... A lot of bad stuff was said, was said about Paul. And he was really just scared that I just went to be with them and I planted a church there and then now some dude goes in and they're, they're talking ill and bad about me. And so was, he's, he was worried. Not because of him, but what is that going to do to the gospel? What are, what are they going to think of me? Was I just going to be another false teacher to them? No. He was praying for them so that they could have established heart before God. Regardless, even if they said those things about Paul, their mind was still rooted on the gospel. And so why the heart? Well, because within the heart, and you know this, not by theological expertise, but simply day-to-day -day living, from the heart we get the purpose, motive. Everything comes from our hearts. It's what Jesus told the Pharisees. And he was telling them this same idea that we're walking through right now, that good hearts produce good fruits. But that wasn't the case with the Pharisees. So this is what he tells them in Matthew 12, 34. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? Obviously, Jesus 
knows what's inside every single one of us. And he knew these people, they just talk eloquently, but inside they are dead. And so then Jesus says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You really want to see where you're at with a certain topic, a certain you know, life stage, take some time to be alone and talk to yourself. Everything is gonna come out, everything. It can be funny, but then it's also disgusting. It's also sad, it's depressing. Because from here, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But when we come to the realization of the gospel, when we have grasped the gospel, we get new intentions, new desires, and the things that we hate to do now we love to do. Although there is a struggle every day, the Lord Jesus extends his hands in repentance and that we are forgiven of our sins. This is why Paul prayed for the Thessalonians. So that he could establish your hearts blameless in the holiness before our God and Father. There's a lifestyle battle that happens here when, it's, when it comes to holiness, which really is the whole other two chapters of 1 Thessalonians. That's the life stuff, the application. Right now, Paul starts speaking into their lives. But as we're going to see that there's this, there's, there's this idea of holiness and there's a flesh and there's a spirit and knowing that we're not alone. But then he says this, before God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Even in his prayer, we see, we see Paul's heart of the gospel. Jesus' return. Jesus will return. And when he comes, I want him to find you blameless in holiness right, above reproach. I want him to find you with an established heart and church, trust me, that is the same prayer that we should have. When Jesus returns, we want to have established hearts because he will. But again, that only comes from the gospel. If the gospel is not present, then there is no real possibility of genuine love. There is no possibility of faith. There is no possibility even of prayer. It all starts and revolves around the gospel. But as you know, and I've told you, there is no perfect church. But that still doesn't annul the sins that we have committed. And that's not an excuse to say, well, there's not a perfect church, then I have a little bit of give. No. Nevertheless, we're called to come before God and repent if we've been lacking some of these areas. Because I'm sure even though, you know, Paul got the news that, you know, of their love and their the faith, I'm sure they still had stuff going on in that church. Because Jesus called in perfect people to his perfect body. 
That is why Paul even himself says, you know, if we do sin, we have a great high priest. We have a mediator who is willing and able to forgive us of those sins. So church, today, let us come in repentance before God in these areas that we lack. And at this point, it's more of a you question. What do you believe about the gospel? How do you grasp the gospel and carry that out in your daily living? That's a question that you need to answer and meditate within yourself because you are the only one that knows the status of your hearts, aside from God, of course. But what do you believe the gospel says? What do you believe the gospel preaches? Is it the risen Jesus who died for your sins or is it me and are you at the center of your own gospel? Are you self-seeking? Are you consumeristic? And if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, thank you so much for coming today and coming alongside us as we battle, I guess, what you would call an in-house thing. But that does not annul the gospel. And in the gospel, we find that everybody has fallen short of the glory of God, and there is no neutral faith. There is no faith that says, I don't believe in God, but I do believe in God. That faith is no faith, and that means that you're in rebellion to God. So it is the same Jesus that forgives our sins, that forgives your sins if you repent of your sins and turn to him and follow him and believe in him. There is no neutral faith. You're either all in or you're all out. But here's the beauty. He is willing to forgive. We're not a clique. We are not another community that we base standards off people, or at least we shouldn't be. And that has been your experience. I am sorry. That is not what Jesus has called us to be, but rather it is a church who is loving and reaching out and preaching the gospel. But at the end of the day, you must repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. That is our distinction. Church, do you believe in that distinction? It's not just sports. It's not just music, food. It is the gospel, and that's exactly what's at stake. Do we believe the gospel? Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you. Because your word is for correction and reproof, but it is also for edifying. Taking down the pillars of our idols and putting your pillar above everything else. We know that these types of conversations are not easy. And we know these truths within us we battle But we pray again, Lord, that regardless of how convicting your word is, that we would be humble enough to accept our faults and the sins that we've committed and really just humbly come to you for forgiveness.
Lord, forgive us of our sins. Help us draw near towards you. You have saved a weak people that is needed of your grace every day, that is needed of your forgiveness every day. And we pray that it is a continual forgiveness and we know that it is. But often, Lord, we just get tired. But thank you for sending your son through him. We have forgiveness. Lord, we pray that we rise up to the call to be the church that you want us to be. That you help us be the church that you want us to be when you return. It could be today, right now, in this moment. It could be tomorrow or the next day, Lord. We, we pray that when you do return, we are found to be steadfast, that our hearts are inclined to yours and that we have faith in you and that we have this overabundance of love for one another. But Lord, we give you thanks and we ask for your help as we continue our week or begin our week. In the midst of the challenges, you help us love one another. Amidst the turmoil, you help us love one another. Amidst the community life that could sometimes be dirty, could be hurtful. We pray, Lord, that you would help us just love one another well, just as you have loved us and have died for us. We pray for our pastor and his family as they are out of state. We pray that they are doing well and we pray that they return well. Pray that just like Paul prayed that you would remove the obstacles in their way to get safely to their destination so that they could return safely from their destination. And when we pray that when they're out there, they get to have fun, they get to de-stress, but also look at new beginnings as they return back home. As we move on into communion, Lord, we, we know that as we're taking part of communion, this is not just a meal, but it is your very own body because you have told us, do this in remembrance of me. The bread that we eat, it is your flesh that was on the cross, the wine and the juice that we drink, it is your blood on the cross. It is a symbol of the great sacrifice. So we thank you for your son and sending him as we come and take communion.